Now, if you would open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48, we get the opportunity to sit in and listen tonight to a a very intimate conversation of one of God's saints on his deathbed to his darling sons. I think it'll be a blessing to us. Verse 1, Genesis 48. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, and will make of thee a multitude of people, and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, they're mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue, which thou begattest after them, shall be thine and shall be called after the name of their brethren and their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan, in the way, when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrata, and I buried her there, in the way of Ephrata, the same as Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons, and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, These are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed him, and kissed them, and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, and God which fed me all my life long unto this day. The angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head, And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is my firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless 
saying, God make thee as Ephraim and Manasseh. And he said, Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Thank God for his word. Let's bow before him together. Our Father, we come before you a thankful people. Oh, how thankful we are that there is forgiveness of sin, redemption from our sin in the blood of your darling Son. Father, how we thank you for your love that you set upon your people, that you would put us in Christ, that you would see us in Christ, that you would see us only in your Son, as perfect and righteous and holy as he is, and that you would accept us in the beloved, that you would hear our prayer for Christ's sake, that you enable us to come into your presence with confidence and bow before you and worship you and be accepted. Father, how we thank you. How we thank you for this gospel of your son that you've given to us to preach and to believe and to hear. Father, how we thank you. How we thank you for the good news of full and free redemption in Christ our Savior. And Father, I pray that you'd cause your gospel to run well. That it would go forth in the power of thy spirit tonight to, first of all, bring glory to your name. And Father, second of all, to cause your people to, to hear, to hear with the ear of faith and look to Christ. Find rest rest and peace and comfort for our souls by looking to him, trusting him and him alone. Father, bless us, we pray, for thy great namesake. We thank you for this opportunity to meet together and and worship, to have your word open to us. And I pray that you would not allow us to let it go by in vain. Father, we thank you for the many blessings this life, how, how you blessed us. We thank you for the good report that we got today in our sister Lorelai. Father, we thank you, you answer prayers. And fathers, for others who continue to need you and need your hand of healing and comfort and direction upon them, we pray you'd be with them in a special way. Now, Father, again, bless us as we look into your word. Enable us to see by faith our Lord Jesus Christ. For his blessed name, for his sake we pray. Amen. All right, now I've titled the lesson this evening, Joint Heirs with Christ. In this chapter that we just read, Joseph, or Jacob, adopts the two sons of Joseph and makes those two young men, they're not boys, they're, they're at least at least 17 years old. Jacob has been in Egypt 17 years, they were born before he got there, so these are pretty much full-grown men. But he makes those young men to be his children. That's what he says in verse 5. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which are born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, they're mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Now Jacob adopted Ephraim and Manasseh. Now Ephraim and Manasseh are not Jacob's grandsons. They're his sons. He adopted them. They're his sons, and as his sons, they have an inheritance 
from their father, Jacob. Now here's the picture. In his mercy and grace, Almighty God adopted a people to be his children. Now they're natural born sons and daughters of Adam. They're natural born rebels. Naturally born, they're worth nothing. But Almighty God adopted them and made them to be his children. And since God's elect are his children, they're heirs of God. They're joint heirs with God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we read to open the service in Romans 8, verse 17. And tonight I want to look at four points. It's sinners like you and me being made joint heirs with Christ. One of the most amazing stories you could tell. Someone like us could be joint heirs with God's Son. Now the first thing I see here is this. The only way you and me can be joint heirs with Christ is by the purpose and promise of God. Look back in verse 1. It came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. He took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee. And I will make of thee a multitude of people. And will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. Now this is a touching scene. I mean, this really happened to real people living real lives just like us. Someone tells Joseph, I mean, Joseph's busy running the country and feeding the world, but somebody comes and tells Joseph, your daddy's dying. Joseph took his two boys and went to see his father on his deathbed. And Jacob hears they're coming. This man's on his deathbed, but he hears Joseph's coming. And that kind of rouses him up, you know, gives him a little burst of energy. He sits up on the bed so he can visit with them a while when they get there. And Jacob's going to bless his sons before he dies. But you know, Jacob wouldn't have anything to bless his sons with unless the Lord had first met Jacob and given him a promise of grace. The only reason Jacob has anything to, to pass on to his children is because of God's covenant of grace, that covenant that he confirmed with Jacob. God condescended to confirm to that covenant to Jacob, just like he did his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. And that's what Jacob is telling us about here. He's telling his son and his grandsons, now his sons, that he's dying in hope because he believes the promise of God. He's dying looking forward to what is to come. And he believes what, what he knows what is coming because he believed what God promised him. Now I know it doesn't look like it right now, but a multitude of people are going to descend from Jacob. A multitude. There's going to be so many of them you can't count them. Now, only 70 of them came into Egypt. I mean, pretty small band, you know, all things considered. I mean, they're a vast, 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 vast minority in Egypt. But when they leave that place, over 3 million of them are coming out. A multitude of people. Now, Jacob didn't know how that was going to happen exactly. He just knew it would. Because God promised him. And that's what he's telling his sons here. 
that multitude that's going to descend from Jacob is going to inhabit the land of Canaan. Now, right now, Israel lives in Egypt and a strong, mighty people live in Canaan. I mean, they're well established there. They got big cities and walls and big standing armies. Canaan's their home. And they're not going to give it up easily. But Jacob knew this. His descendants are going to inhabit every square inch of that land. Now, he has no idea how that's going to happen. He just knows they will. Because this was God's promise to him. He believed God. And this is what he's passing on to his his sons. Far more important than possessions and sheep and money and all those things. This is what he's passing on to his sons. He's telling them, I'm dying believing God. Now you believe him too. That's what he's telling them. Now that's a, that is a good inheritance to pass on to your children, isn't it? Now he's recounting this story. And you can just imagine Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh, can't you? They'd heard this story before. <laughs> I know they did. I know they did because I, I know this about human nature. Old men tell the same stories over and over and over again. They'd heard this story before. This story of God meeting Jacob and giving him this promise, his, the promise of his grace, this story is a family heirloom. And Jacob's passing it on to his sons. Now, this story is not exactly part of the blessing that Jacob's going to give, but this is a blessing. He's got this to pass on to his sons and to his grandsons, telling them about the promise of God, telling them to believe it. And a big part of what Jacob is telling them here is this. Don't you forget God's promise to me and to your father, to your grandfather, to your great-grandfather. Don't ever forget this. Egypt is not your permanent home. He tells them down there in verse 21, he said unto Joseph, behold, I die. But God shall be with you and bring you again out of the, out of this land, unto the land of your fathers. He's telling them, don't forget. Now, this is not your permanent home. Egypt isn't. That's why in the last chapter, we looked at last week, Jacob made Joseph promise, you're not going to bury me here. Don't you bury me in Egypt. You take me back to Canaan and bury me there. That's the land of promise. Now, you're not staying here. We're leaving this place someday. He's telling them, I know this is good right now. God's blessing us with, with all kinds of, of physical and material blessings right now. But don't you get so caught up in Egypt and all the, the, the material blessings and the wealth of this country that you forget your home's in Canaan. Now, you're not staying here. It's, I know it's not God's blessing us here right now, but we're not staying here forever. We're leaving this place. We're going to Canaan eventually. He's telling them, keep your heart set on Canaan. Not on the things of, of, of this, this, uh, this country because Canaan is where God's promised to bless you. Now here's how that applies to you and me. Canaan is a picture of the land of promise. It's the land of rest. It's a picture of heaven with Christ. And we can say like the same thing Jacob said, God's blessed us. Now God has blessed blessed us in this place i mean this world is not you know a very pleasant place to live most of the time but now god's blessed us god has blessed us in this place he blessed us with physical and material blessings i mean they're just without number i mean we're rich 
rich, blessed people. But don't ever forget, this world is not your home. Now, most of you got to get up and go to work in the morning, so you keep earning the money to be able to have all these blessings, right? To, you know, your home and your food and your cars and all these things. But get up and go to work in the morning, doing what you're supposed to, supposed to do and do it with all you got. Remembering this, don't set your heart on this place. Now, if you're God's, we're leaving this place. Sooner or later, we're leaving this place and we're going to Canaan. We're going to the place that God promised us. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. Look not, don't set your heart on these things. Look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Now look on those things. Set your heart on those things. You know, believers today are called sons of Jacob. I think believers are called sons of Jacob almost maybe more than than any other thing believers are called in Scripture. We're sons of Jacob. Because we're just like Jacob, aren't we? Our nature is the same as Jacob. We're saved the same way Jacob was saved for the same reasons Jacob was saved. It's because of God's covenant of grace. Now, if we're sons of Jacob, we can listen to what he's saying here. He's saying this to his sons. He's given us a blessing if we'll take heed to it and hang on to it and remember it. Hold on to this world loosely and hang on to God's promises for all your worth. Now that instruction is a sweet inheritance. It's a valuable inheritance and it's a sweet inheritance if we'll take it to heart, isn't it? All right, number two, this is the second thing I see. God's adoption makes his people to be his actual sons. Now, I know while we're in this flesh, we tend to think, as I am right now, I'm, I'm not really truly a son or, or daughter of God. I, I'm, not, I'm not really righteous. I'm not really holy. I'm not really blameless and sinless before God. I know I will be someday. Now, in heaven, I know I will be there, but, but not really, not right now, because all I am is sin. Well, that's true of my old man. That's all my old man is, is sin. That's all he ever will be. That's why he's got to die. But that new man, born of God in the new birth, he's righteous. He's holy. He's unblameable. He's unreprovable in God's sight. He cannot sin. He cannot. I know that's true because that's what God said. God said they're holy, unblameable, unreprovable in my sight. Now, if God doesn't see any sin in me, I don't have any sin because God sees things that the way the way they really are. So if God has adopted me by his grace and calls me his son, that's what I really am, his son. There's a picture of that here in, in verse five. Jacob says, and now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, they're mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they're mine. And thy issue which thou begattest after them, they'll be thine and should be called after the name of their brethren and their inheritance. Now Jacob adopted those two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. He said, Joseph, they're not your sons anymore. They're mine. They're mine. They're my children. These two are mine just as truly as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Now Reuben and Simeon were the first two sons 
born of Jacob. And this is what Jacob's saying. These last two, they're just as much my sons as the first two. That they're really my sons. You see, this adoption, it's more than a sweet act by a dying old man trying to show his grandsons how much he really loves them. It, it, it is a sweet act, but it's much more than just a, a sweet act of love by a, by a feeble old man. This adoption makes Ephraim and Manasseh joint heirs with those other 11 sons. They're joint heirs. This adoption give, gives them a legal standing, makes it right for them to receive an inheritance from Jacob just as much as Reuben and Simeon and the other nine. It makes them right. It makes it right for them to be joint heirs. Now in our day, adoption, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, this, this adoption is beautiful, but you think about adoption in our day. My son-in-law used to uh, be an assistant district attorney over these these matters in, in a county about uh, children and custody and, and all these kinds of things. And the horror stories that he tells just utterly break your heart. The, the situations and, and houses that, that children have to live in. And adoption is a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. You think someone seeing an unwanted, unloved, uncared for child and taking them in and giving them a family that loves them. Not just provides for them. Yes, they're going to provide for them much more than families in these other you know, horrible situations that you read about. They're going to give them good food and good clothes and you know these night they're going to give them a nice bedroom and a nice bed and all those things but they're going to love them they're going to give them what that child needs as much as anything love stability and that child is going to grow up in a home that's that's stable where they're loved where they're supported where they, you know they can go out in the world and be successful that's a beautiful thing it's just beautiful isn't it well, now magnify that more times than, than we can count. That's what God's done for his children when he adopted them into his family. He took an unwanted, unloved, abused child, malnourished, naked and dirty and filthy, and he adopted that child into his family. And that child's given everything they need. Wisdom, Righteousness, sanctification, redemption. The eternal, infinite love of God that you can't measure the length or the breadth or the depth or the height of it is theirs. God loves them with that love. And those children are real children of God. They're not half children. They're not pretend children. They're full children. As much a son of God in this manner, is Christ himself. What did Christ tell Mary after he arose from the tomb? Go tell my disciples. I go to my father and your father. He's your father. If he's adopted you into his family, he's your father. And you are fully loved, fully taken care of, fully protected by the might of God Almighty. Because you're his child. 
And since you're his child, it's not wrong of you to expect an inheritance from your father. Now that is beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. But you know, God's adoption is so much better than man's adoption. When God adopts a child into his family, he also has the power to birth that child into his family. He takes that adopted child and gives them his nature in the new birth. A nature born from his seed. They're his children. And God's adopted children, they have so many benefits and privileges. I just You just can't overstate how glorious it is to be a child of God. I want you to turn over to Galatians chapter 4. The apostle here talks to us about adoption. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4 verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. But he's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. And if you go back up in, in chapter 3, here's what Paul is talking about, about the, the child differing nothing from a servant. Verse 23 of chapter 3. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now you and I were born under the law. And God's law is like that old schoolmaster. In those days, this is what they did. A rich man who had great wealth and great businesses, great possessions. His son's going to be the heir of all this. All this business, all this lands, all this stuff that he's running. And the rich man puts his son, the heir of it all, under a tutor, under a, a school teacher. He's got, got to teach him. He's got to educate him so that someday he's able to run his father's business. And that child, he had to do what the teacher said. And if the schoolmaster told him something to, to do something, he did it wrong, the schoolmaster just whack him on. I mean, just whack him. If he got the two plus two wrong, he'd whack him. If he, you know, didn't do his homework right, you know, he'd whack him. Missed one on a test, he'd whack him. Just all the time busting his knuckles, whopping him upside the head. And the schoolmaster would keep whopping that kid until that kid finally learned all the lessons. And he matured enough. Now he's educated. Now he's ready to take over his father's estate. Then he's treated like the heir. The schoolmaster can't whop him one no more. Well, the law is our schoolmaster. And the schoolmaster did his job. He raised that, taught that son to, to step up and be able to run his father's business. Well, the law is our schoolmaster. Isn't it? And the law, God's law tells us do this and live. Don't do this and, you know, obey me and live. And that law just keeps whacking us and whacking us and whacking us, just keeps whacking us upside the head because we never learn. We don't have the ability to obey God's law. Now, the phrase Paul uses here is the law brings us to Christ. Well, the law doesn't really bring us to Christ. The law doesn't know anything about grace. The law doesn't know anything about faith. Paul says here we're justified by faith. Well, the law doesn't know anything about faith. The only thing the law knows is obedience or disobedience. Black and white. 
Life or death, that's all the, the law knows. But here's what the law does do. It shuts us up to Christ. The law just keeps whacking us. Every time that we disobey, the law makes us see, I don't have any hope of eternal life by obeying the law. Because I can't do it. The law makes me see that Christ is my only hope of being justified. The only way that I can keep the law is by being in Christ. That's what the law shows us. Now, verse 3, chapter 4. This is what Paul is saying. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you're sons, now once you're adopted, now you're a son. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. See, that rich man's son, he was always a son. He was always the heir. It was always intended for him to take over his father's business. But while he was learning, while he was being taught, he was treated like the lowest servant. But when he matured and he learned and he learned everything he was supposed to learn, then he was treated like the son, like the heir of it all. Well, that's the believer. Before God gave us faith in Christ, the law just beat us like a common criminal. And that's what we deserve. But once faith in Christ came, now we have no more relationship to the law. Once faith in Christ came, now the law can't touch us anymore. Now we're treated as sons. Now we're treated as the heirs of it all. And just like our first point tonight, we're heirs according to God's promise, according to God's grace. It's not our merit. It's God's promise of grace in Christ Jesus. You're heirs through Christ, through what Christ has accomplished for you. So God's adopted children, now they have a right to an inheritance from their father. But look back at Romans chapter 8. God's children also have a sweet, loving relationship, a relationship of dependence, on their father. Romans 8 verse 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God. They are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry Abba Father. Now God's children have received the spirit of adoption. And this is not just a legal matter. Legally adopted. Paul says here you've received the spirit of it. The spirit of adoption. Whereby, by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Now you can read a whole lot about this word, Abba. But the long and the short of it is this. This is an intimate way for a child to address their father. Abba. Jan and I watched a show one time where there's a bunch of Jewish people and that's what the girls always call their daddy, Abba, Abba. It's like us saying daddy or papa. It's an affectionate term. It's a, it's a term that shows love and affection. Well, here's what Paul is telling us here. God's children have the right to refer to God the Father 
in intimate, loving terms. Abba. Now that is as amazing as it is comforting that somebody like us can call the Father Abba, Papa, Daddy, and count on Him to love you back. And count on Him to love you back. The only reason we love Him is because He first loved us, right? Hold your place there, Romans 8. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Look at John chapter 14. We cry, Abba, Father, this loving way of a child referring to his father, and we can count on him to love us back. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And you know that commandment is it's not to, to obey the law, it's to, it's to obey his commandment to believe him, to trust Christ, not trust anything you do, trust Christ alone. And I'll pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you knowing, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. You know what that word comfortless literally translated is? Orphans. I will not leave you orphans. I've adopted you into my family. You're my child. I love you and you can count on me. I will not leave you orphans. You're not going to be comfortless without love, the love of the Father, without the provision of the Father, without without the protection of the Father, without the leadership of the Father. I will not leave you orphans. That's a loving relationship, isn't it? All right, now back to Romans chapter 8. So these children, God's adopted children, they're real children. I know they are because the Spirit of God says they are. Verse 16. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we're children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. God's adopted children are the right, true heirs. Of God. And we're joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. See, we're, we're heirs, not by our merit, are we? No, we're heirs by Christ's merit. Joint heirs with Christ. And if you're a joint heir, you know what that means? We receive everything. We inherit everything that Christ receives. That Christ the Son receives. Well, what's the Son going to receive? Everything. The Father's already put everything into his hands. Then all things are for your sake. They're all yours too. See, the testator has already died. That's what gives us the right to the inheritance, isn't it? Now that's a blessing that you can take with you as you finish out this journey here below. You take this and hang on to this promise. You have a right to expect that inheritance because God's made you his son and his daughter. Isn't that rich? And here's the third thing. I kind of hinted at this a minute ago. If we're joint heirs with Christ, it's by his merit, not ours. God's adoption 
is always for the undeserving. The undeserving are just always shocked at God's provision for them, at God's grace for them. Look back at uh, Genesis 48, verse 8. And Israel beheld Joseph's son, sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I'll bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face. And lo, God has showed me also thy seed. <laughs> Jacob said, Joseph, I didn't think I'd ever see you again. I thought you were dead, and I thought I'd never see you again. I dared not even ask for the blessing to ever see you again, because I thought you were dead. And God's been so good to me. He's not only let me see your face, He's let me see your sons too. 20 years ago, Jacob couldn't have dreamed up something like this. God's blessings are always so much greater than you can imagine, aren't they? And they're always a surprise. (laughs) It's just a surprise how good God is to his people. Well, verse 12, Joseph brought them out from between his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim, in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. Now Joseph took the older son, Manasseh, in his left hand, so he'd come up towards Jacob's right hand. And Ephraim, the younger son, is in his right hand, bring him up towards Jacob's left hand. And Joseph did that because the older son, he's supposed to receive the greater blessing. That's what comes from, from the right hand. That's So that's what Joseph did. But, Verse 14, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Jacob crossed his hands. He put his hands the opposite way that Joseph had intended so that his right hand was on the head of the younger, on Ephraim. And Jacob knew exactly what he was doing. It says here he guided his hands wittingly. You see, Jacob blessed these two boys by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 21 says that by faith, Jacob blessed both the sons of Joseph as he was dying. He did this, he crossed his hands like that by faith. Jacob knew that God's going to bless Ephraim. He's going to bless Ephraim's tribe more than he is Manasseh's. Now Manasseh's going to be a great tribe true, but Ephraim, is going to be blessed more. Now I looked into that. I looked a lot about that. And I just don't know everything I know about that. But here's what I do know. Joshua, that great type of Christ, who led Israel across the across the, uh, the river, Jordan River, into the promised land, he was from the tribe of Ephraim. <laughs> that great tribe of Christ. Maybe that was part of the blessing. I don't know. But verse 15 Jacob goes on, he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, God, which fed me all my life long until this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Oh, let God Almighty bless the lads. Let 
Let the angel, that's the son of God, let him bless the lads. Let my name be named on them. And the name of my father is Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head under Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is my firstborn. Put thy right hand on his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also should become a people, and he also should be great. But truly this younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he said Ephraim before Manasseh. Now does that story sound at all familiar to you? Jacob blessed the younger son instead of the older one. The exact same way his father did him. Blessed Jacob with a greater blessing instead of Esau. You would think Esau deserved it, right? As the oldest son. But not so. God blessed the younger. Here, God blessed the younger again. Now that's not man's way. That's just surprising that Jacob would do that. But that's the way God's blessings always are. They're always surprising because they come to the most undeserving. Now I have to tell you, if you think that you deserve some blessing from God because of something that you've done, you're not going to get it. God's blessings are always by grace. They're never by our merit. They're always by his grace. But I've got good news for the undeserving. If you just can't think of one reason why God would bless you, you can't think of one reason. Why would God save me? Why would God bless me? Why would God let me see? Why would God give me faith? There's not one reason God would bless me. God just ought to cast me to hell and wipe his hands and be done with me. If that's the way you think about yourself, let me tell you, God will bless you for Christ's sake. For Christ, not for your sake, for Christ's sake. It always, God's blessings always come on the most undeserving. I'm sure every person who really believes God will say this. Of all the people that I know that God has saved, I tell you the one that surprises me the most is me. It's just always surprising, isn't it? All right, here's the last thing. God's adoption gives his people a rich inheritance. Verse 22, Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword or with my bow. Now by adopting, Joseph is the favorite son. You think naturally Jacob would want to always give him more, right? But how can he do that and be right? How can it be right? Otherwise, it's like he's doing the wrong thing. Well, by adopting Ephraim and Manasseh and giving them an equal inheritance with those other 11 brothers, in effect, he gave Jacob twice as much, didn't he? Because he gave it to his sons. See that? Jacob gave Joseph a double portion. And this land he's talking about here that he took with his sword and his bow, you know what what ended up being on that land? Jacob's well 
where our Lord sat waiting for a Samaritan woman to come give him a drink of water. <laughs> That's where that land was. That was given to Ephraim and to Manasseh. And he says, I'm giving you a double portion. Now quickly look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Let's look at this double portion for just a second. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Now what does that double mean? Well, I know it probably means so many things I don't completely know, but I do know one thing I'm sure it means. It means justification and sanctification. Sinners need both if we would be saved. Justification is being made without sin. To have no sin is to have my sin put away. And if I'm going to stand before God, I've got to be justified, don't I? Somebody's got to put my sin away. Well, that's what Christ did. With his blood, he justified his people. He made it so they have no sin. But if God pays for my sin and then leaves me alone, leaves me to my own devices, I'm going to sin some more. And then I'm going to be damned because there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. So I need to be justified, but I also need to be made holy. I need to be given a holy nature so that I won't sin again. That's what sanctification is. God causes his people to be born again with a holy, righteous nature that won't sin again. They can never mar Christ's sacrifice for them. That's the double blessing. Justification and sanctification. Everything we need in Christ by his sacrifice. I'm also sure of this. That double blessing, it just means everything. It's everything God has for a sinner. It's inheriting everything that Christ earned for us. It's having God's love. God's love with you every step of the way. Having his presence with you so that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's having his protection, protecting you from things that you know about, protecting you from things you don't know about. It's having his provision. To give me this day my daily bread. Give us what I need. It's having him shepherd us all the days of his life. That's what Jacob talked about earlier. The, the God who shepherded me. is having him shepherd us. Lead us and guide us all the way. And if he wasn't shepherding us, we'd fall off the cliff, wouldn't we? But he keeps us from doing that. Now that's an inheritance. There's nothing you can receive, earthly speaking, physically, materially, that's as valuable as that inheritance. So take care, take care of what, take care of the business that God's given you to take care of. Your home, your family, your job, your, those things. But set your heart on those things which are not seen. Those are eternal. And that's our blessing. That's our inheritance. All right. Let's bow together. Our Father, what a blessing. We've just looked at this and seen this. What a blessing to be able to call you our Father. It's only by your adopting grace. Father, we're so thankful. 
how we thank you for the blessings that you've so freely given your people because we're joint heirs with Christ, all because of who he is and what he's accomplished for us, all because of your purpose and your promise. Father, we're so thankful. And Father, I pray that you'd take your word as it's been preached tonight. Father, use it to show your people your glory, the amazing glory of your love, your grace, your pity, your saving power for your weak, undeserving people. Cause it to thrill our hearts. Cause us to, to our hearts, our souls, to find rest and peace and comfort in God our Father. Father, it's in the precious name of Christ our Savior that we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.